We turn to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus 22, continuing with the laws and here speaking of property and the responsibility of people. Uh, uh, Exodus 22, and just looking at the divisions here I have in the chapter in my Bible. Would someone please read for us, if you have a good connection, and if you have a clear voice this morning, if you can read clearly, slowly, and loudly, loud enough, 1 through 15, and then someone else please read God's word from Exodus 22, 16, to the end of the chapter, to verse 31. 1 to 15, and then our brother and sister can also read 16 to 31. Exodus 22, 1 through 15, NLT version. Protection of property. If somebody steals an ox or a sheep, and then kills or sells it, the thief must pay back five oxen for each ox stolen and four sheep for each sheep stolen. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. But if it happens in daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. A thief who is caught must pay in full for everything he stole. If he cannot pay, he must be sold as a slave to pay for the theft, for his theft. If someone steals an ox or a donkey or a sheep and it is found in the thief's possession, then the thief must pay double the value of the stolen animal. If an animal is grazing in a field or a vineyard and the owner lets it stray into someone else's field to graze, then the animal's owner must pay compensation for the best of his own grape or grain or grape. If you're burning thorn bushes and the fire gets out of control and it spreads into another person's field, destroying the sheaves or the uncut grain or the whole crop, the one who started the fire must pay for the lost crop. Suppose someone leaves money or goods with a neighbor for safekeeping, and they stole from the neighbor's house. If the thief is caught, the compensation is double the value of what was stolen. But if the thief is not caught, the neighbor must appear before God, who will determine if he stole the property. Suppose there is a dispute between two people who both claim to own a particular ox, donkey, sheep, article of clothing, or lost property. Both parties must come before God, and the person whom God declares guilty must pay double the compensation to the other. Now, suppose someone leaves a donkey, ox, sheep, or any other animal with a neighbor for safekeeping, but it dies or is injured or is taken away, and no one sees what happens. The neighbor must then take an oath in the presence of the Lord, if the Lord confirms that the neighbor did not steal the property, the owner must accept the verdict, and no payment will be required. But if the animal was indeed stolen, the guilty person must pay compensation to the owner. If it was torn into pieces by a wild animal, the remains of the carcass must be shown as evidence, and no compensation will be required. If someone borrows an animal from a neighbor and it is injured, 
or dies when the owner is absent, the person who borrowed it must pay full compensation. But if the owner was present and no compensation is required, and compensation is required if the animal was rented for the loss is covered by the rental fee. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. We see the penal code here concerning crimes and punishment. God's system of justice introduced to the people. And we have to remember again that it's in the framework of a, a nomadic people and uh, ancient civilization. And the other thing which is more important is that God is absolutely just. And when he makes a law and gives a law, he works with the people and he brings out justice. And also we see that in the New Covenant, God's original intention for the law these are some of the things we must bear in mind when we read things. And again, if we come across something that seems to be unfair or not the way you would do it, we need to remember God is God and we're not. It's not simply because he's God and uh, even if he says something that's not just, it's okay. No, God is just and everything he does is perfect. It actually is. He actually is all good and all wise and all knowing and all just. Let's continue reading from verse 16, Exodus 22, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Again, if you're going to read, um, someone with a clear voice this morning, good connection. If you can read slowly and loud enough for us, please. Verse 16. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her, he must pay a dowry for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry for virgins. You shall not allow a sorceress to live. Whoever, li whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices to any god other than to the Lord alone shall be utterly destroyed. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry. And my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him, you shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's clock as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets, for that is his only covering, it is his clock for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And it shall come about that when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. You shall not curse God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not 
delay the offering from your harvest and your vintage. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be holy men to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh torn to pieces in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Praise God. Continuation of this law of God given to the Israelites. And we see the responsibility that one has to bear if he should take for granted the ability to have relations with any woman who is not his wife, that there is a dowry of sorts to pay. And it was um, something that would serve to prevent that kind of activity, that there needs to be a commitment. And it's written that God overlooked certain things in times past. But the revelation becomes progressive. And we come to a point where none of this is allowed under the new covenant. It's considered fornication. Falls under the general term of adultery. Not just marital unfaithfulness and so forth. You see God working with people and um, using the law to warn them and to curb their, their behavior in the hopes that they would understand the spirit of the law, which is to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength, and then love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If that's the case, then a person... Doesn't necessarily needs to need to bypass the individual commandments, but they come under that umbrella of the law of love, as we see in the new covenant. The privilege we have and the relationship we have with God now, through the increased revelation from the Holy Spirit, the increased revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ gives us no excuse for behaving in an unloving way to anyone, any neighbor. And who's my neighbor? As the man asked the Lord Jesus, and he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And certainly, our first neighbors are those we live with, our families. And we are required to consider if we are doing unto them the way we would like them have due to us. Understanding these principles, we can better look at these laws that were given to Israel at that time and see how they're applicable today. And we've just explained how this is not a license in verse 16 of Exodus 22 for anyone to do what they want and just pay off the particular sin or crime or trespass, so to speak. Verse 18 says, You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Capital punishment was instituted 
by God. In this government where any demon that comes in to try to destroy souls working through someone, God cut it short right then and there. And the implication here is that that person is continuing that sorcery. Simon the sorcerer in the New Testament repented and he believed. And yet he had a ways to go to get perfectly right with God. He had to deal with some things. He cried out for intercession from the apostles. But it shows how God views sorcery and those who dabble in it. And yet many Christians today engage in yoga and hypnosis and drugs and uh, horoscopes and uh, dungeons and dragons and games and Ouija boards and all kinds of things. And they say, well, I... I don't really use it a lot, but I just kind of am interested and curious. There's an evil spirit behind all those things mentioned. Just like alcohol is likened to a poisonous serpent waiting to strike someone. The admonition from the scripture in the Proverbs is don't look at the wine when it's red. Don't look at it. Don't get enticed by its color or sparkly nature, whatever it is, it'll destroy lives. You can never do anything that is sinful casually and think that I've got it under control. As mentioned yesterday, it's like a baby boa constrictor that a human being gets fooled by and eventually gets crushed to death by. And God deals with these things very severely, very quickly, is a holy God and these people have been exposed to his very presence by fire on Mount Sinai. They've heard God speak. They've witnessed miracles, you see. The more we're given, the more will be required from us. Isn't it just of God to do that? But it's not hard to not be a sorceress or a wizard, is it? Not hard to have self-control and respect other people and their property, is it? But it's when the heart is evil that the things become difficult, what God prohibits and what God commands and allows. And he deals with idolatry in verse 20. He deals with bestiality in verse 19. We look at that and we think how uh, utterly abominable. God puts it right there up front and center for the people to know this is the extent to which you can go if you are not careful. Because one sin leads to another very quickly. And that's just cut off and destroyed.
And a person can engage in heterosexual immorality and they can graduate into the cesspool of homosexuality and into the cesspool of bisexuality and into the cesspool of bestiality. No believer has been washed by the blood of Jesus and is walking with the Lord need ever fear that this could happen to them. There's a confidence we have in God because we've been sanctified. We've been separated from this wicked world. We have nothing to do with it. There's a disgust. There's a natural inborn disgust in a born-again person for things not only such as bestiality, but bisexuality and homosexuality and all perversions and heterosexual immorality as well. The thing that appeals to a born-again person, truly born-again person, is a sanctified marriage born out of a commitment of sincere love. That's what makes a born-again person happy. And those who are not married, whether they are single, yet to be married, whether they are called to a life of that celibacy or they elect to have such a life for the cause of Christ or they are divorced justly because the other party committed adultery or they are separated from a spouse that is abusive or they are separated from a spouse that has died The thing that satisfies a genuine born-again person is a pure life, whether married or unmarried. There's a satisfaction, there's a delight. Not a feeling of deprivation and an eagerness to fly off the hormone, so to speak, and I've got to do this, I've got to have this. No. Inasmuch as God said man does not live by bread only, a basic creaturely need. The sexual needs are not as vital, obviously, as bread. If God says so much for bread, how much more for self-control with regards to a misuse uh, premature use of that gift God has given. Can a person truly be happy with Jesus if they're stuck in the desert? Or will that person begin to murmur and complain like the Israelites start screaming, i got to have food, I have to have meat, I have to have quail, I have to have bread and leeks and onions. I can't live without it. I can't live without it. Food. I can't live without this kind of food. I, I crave for this food. There are words that we need to be careful of using, not just words like I could kill someone, I can choke someone, I can 
kick myself and I can punch myself in the nose and these words are not to be used from a person who's been sanctified not because of some legalistic kind of mentality but because we know words matter and those are useless and vain words and so we must be careful not to cry and throw tantrums and use words such as I I can't wait to sink my teeth into that and ooh what I give for that and oh I could die for that the self-control that's to be exhibited by a believer is also exhibited by words the natural flow of the spirit in a believer as a branch connected to the vine is a language that is pure a language that is constructive and edifying and no vain words and there's a watch that we call upon the lord to help us to keep set a watch your lord at the door of my lips or my mouth may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight o lord my redeemer my strength and my redeemer and we spoke of this about oppression not only with strangers but those who are fellow brethren that we shouldn't charge interest and that we shouldn't take the person's covering a sheet God says if you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge you shall return it to him before the sun goes down he says what will he have to cover himself at night someone says what kind of god is this i've never heard of any god that goes into such detail he cares about our physical warmth and comfort when we sleep Truly, God comforts and takes care of His own, as a mother does the child. For that is His only covering; it is His garment for His skin. What will He sleep in? Verse twenty-seven. And it will be that when He cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. God says, "I'll come to His defense." He may owe you, but don't you take His blanket at night, because that bothers me. You should not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. The Apostle Paul quoted the law when he said, "I didn't know who was the ruler." When he spoke against the person who treated him unfairly, God is the judge. He'll take care of all of our enemies and all the people who oppress us and take advantage of us. God is watching. God says, "I'm watching." It's very clear when we look at the law that God is watching every move. is watching every move not only what we do but what others do to us notice verse 22 you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child the definition of a widow and fatherless child is not simply the state in which they find themselves because of a tragedy or because of a event 
that is natural in the course of life. But it implies one in need, one who is truly afflicted. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry it all to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Look at the justice of God. Whoever said, where's God, and where's the justice? In some cases, you see the justice very swiftly meted out. Other cases, God is letting that wrath be stored up, and the crimes be racked up for a devastating blow to that person and the generation, as we see with the case of the Egyptians. And the people that Israel will face in the new territory, Canaan. He said the sins of the Amorites are not yet full. They're, they're building up. They're coming up to the brim. And similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. God waited and waited, but when he strikes, it's very, very terrible to be on the receiving end. We're not sensationalizing this or glamorizing this. We're just stating it as it is. It's what God declares. He said, you do this. You afflict a widow or a fatherless child. I get so angry that I'll kill you with a sword. And I'll make sure your family suffers. I would find fault with God. It's like people today who go and uh, lobby on behalf of a convicted criminal who's a serial murderer and say, well, he's a human being. Let him out and let him kill 16 more people and we'll talk about it. Maybe fight for his justice even more. In God's economy, in the theocracy, true theocracy, there's no room for the devil because he loves his people. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you should not be like a money lender to him. I spoke about this. No interest. And then the offering. The firstborn and the redemption of the firstborn as we saw earlier. We touch on some of these things concerning the law. And then the dietary laws as well. Every aspect of the life of an Israelite was superintended by God who gave the law to show them exactly how to think talk, relate, behave. Why? For their own good. And he adds this quite a number of times. He said, if you do things that are in violation of my holy commandments, then you end up being just like the people that I have destroyed or will destroy, the heathen. It's very clear that a believer, whether a believer back in the time of Israel 
or believer now, Christian, is quite different from the world. And if a person can't tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, that means the believer, not the unbeliever, has gone down to the level of the unbeliever and they will face the same punishment because they're actually wearing a mask. They're actually looking differently on the outside than what they are on the inside. Conviction is a wonderful thing when it comes from the Holy Spirit, from the Word of God to help us to correct ourselves so we should not be what? Destroyed with the world. And the laws continue. When you see the insertion of the prohibition of bestiality there, all of a sudden it seems in between other laws, God is looking at the entire human capability and culpability with regards to violation of the holy standard. And he has this penal code to take care of trouble and he gives it before trouble starts. He's such a good God. He doesn't wait for someone to do something wrong and then say, well, you trespassed. I never told you what it was, but I'm going to hold you accountable to the same degree as if I'd given you the law. You see that in Romans, that without the law, the person was free, so to speak. Nonetheless, still, according to Romans 1 and 2, guilty if they break the law of the conscience. We look at um, the legal code, the penal code in our society. And we look at what God has very clearly stated here. No wonder many governments have the foundation of the Mosaic law, the law given Sinai by God as a guide and a foundation for their own laws. The Bible is full of such a variety of genre of literature, not just stylistically, but content-wise, that it truly is sharper than a double-edged sword, being living and active, pierces right to the human heart joints and marrow and exposes all about us and for that reason it's also called a mirror I can't read Exodus 22 or any of the scriptures that seem to be distant from my present situation or inapplicable if I have eyes to see and the heart to ask God if I can find out what he's speaking to me here There's something to learn 
that can cause spiritual growth and keep me safe. I mentioned the other day about that leader that fell into one of the most perverted sexual crimes. And it was a little to that didn't happen overnight. And there were whistleblowers, it seems, in the organization. But the powers that were in control, namely several men at the top of the hierarchy there, told him, the whistleblower and whistleblowers, keep quiet. They even bribed them. And this is a Christian organization well-known for representing the persecuted church. They had evidence of web traffic, internet sites that were logged by the techs. People casually looking at all kinds of perversion, including... Perhaps the worst is child pornography. And uh, can we say, well, God, this law here, bestiality, I mean, who would ever... I don't even think it applies to the church. The people in the church, truth be told, who are into all kinds of of things that are abominable but no one likes to talk about it no one likes to bring it out and deal with it and Paul had such an issue with the Corinthian church where the man was in physical relationship with his stepmother no one did anything about it and Paul had to say, not even the heathen do this stuff. It's not common practice. What's going on here? One of the things we learn if we're sincerely walking before the Lord is that occasions will come when we have to be the whistleblower for the sake of God's honor, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the world calling out egregious violations of God's holy law, calling out perversions and abominable practices, especially found within the church. Because God says, get the leaven out. And light has the quality of exposing darkness all the time. Otherwise, it's not light. It's something else. A man or woman who's called especially to the ministry or part of any church who doesn't even have that basic regard for God and the basic disgust for any perversion but continues with the program and the ceremonies and whatever people do in denominations or non-denominational churches, whatever they pick and choose to do, 
as a way to express their religiosity. God says, I don't care for any of that. It's akin to the sacrificial offerings that the Jews brought when they had clenched fists and murder in their hearts and bickering and fighting and jealousies and oppression going on. God said, away with you. Get away from my altar. When we read the law, we see how God is an enemy of evil. And anyone who claims to be a child of God must be an enemy of evil. And in being so, must speak out against evil and be ready to die for the sake of the truth. Because the Lord said, if you don't confess me before men, neither will I confess you before my Father, before his angels. And there's no qualification he put in that statement that uh, this only applies when your life is not on the line. No. Because he's God. We have a love relationship with him. We honor him. We're going to live with him forever. We can't afford to miss him or miss heaven. And it's a joy to stand up for the truth. Man of sorrows, Jesu, man of sorrows, as the hymn goes. He was a man of sorrows, according to Isaiah 53, 52, the beatings, the plucking of the beard, and all such things. But you see at the end of Isaiah 53 that he rejoiced in his soul because children were being birthed into his kingdom. And so any one of us who speaks the truth carries with us the seed that can be planted in human hearts it can germinate into born-again souls. We have to be willing to know what the truth is and be willing to speak out the truth when God calls us to speak it out. Not to be a compromiser or a coward. No cowards will enter heaven, God says in Revelation. It's a wonderful thing, God is so gracious, that we're able to read the Word and really understand ourselves where do we where do we stand who is god what is he like what does he require who can live with him and what does he hate all of these things are revealed and we can prepare ourselves to live with god forever by understanding more about him and then more about ourselves and see where we're at. So it's a wonderful thing to read through Exodus and see what the Lord has for us and see whether we are pure. To see whether we think it's funny when somebody makes a joke about immorality of any sort To see whether we take it lightly when somebody gets injured, when somebody's slighted, when someone's betrayed. It didn't happen to me, so whatever. 
There are many selfish, hard-hearted people who call themselves Christians. But when we come to the scriptures, even those hard-hearted people have an opportunity to say, Lord, the mirror shows me something very ugly and dangerous. Oh, my God. Is that me? I don't want to be like that, Lord. It's wrong before you. And we get enlightened and we get transformed into what God wants us to be. May the Lord help us to seek to be cleaned up more and more wherever it's necessary. And God will always educate us to every person on the morning call. God has something to say to you and to me. Because we will always be growing. And God is ever examining us to make us better in our walk with Him and how we represent Him. In the privacy of our hearts, what goes on? Every chamber of the spiritual heart, God wants us to be clean. Every chamber. Exodus 23, you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with a wicked to be an unrighteous witness. How many people and corporations, because of fear of losing their job, fear of losing some perks, fear of losing a promotion, fear of being hunted down as a criminal, all kinds of motivations... Tell blatant lies. How sickening. And yet, I have to look at the mirror, and so do you, and see if there's any vestige of such behavior or motivation within ourselves. And if we can find no trace of it, then we have the right and the responsibility to speak out against evil. You should not follow a crowd to do evil. This Herd mentality, crowd mentality, whether it's because of culture or race or nation or city, neighborhood, whatever it is, we have to come to a decision. I had to tell close family members many, many years ago when there was injustice going on within the family, one person treating another person unjustly. And certain family members sought my support and I told them the word of God says if you see someone being oppressed or hurt and you look the other way shall not God see it and require it to your hands I said to me the honor that comes from God is more than family honor when it comes against the honor of God now, they might have thought, this man is ridiculous. He's getting religious on us. No. Something that God says in his word, and I have responsibility to make a choice. Everybody in the family and generation from maybe three generations can be on one side. Like Moses and the Levites, we have to make a choice. Who's on the Lord's side? 
though none go with me, still I will follow who? The crowd? My relatives? I follow Jesus. If my relatives want to follow Jesus, I can have fellowship with them. Real fellowship. I can support them in their cause or what they do, what they stand for. But if they're not, I must still love them as God loves them. And I must help them when they need help. Because even an enemy that requires cold water, God said, give it to him. But fellowship and that intimacy and that support, but to be careful that we don't confuse ourselves and get into chaos. End up dishonoring God. Why? Because the whole family's on this side. Suppose you enter into your neighborhood and you have a whole family li- living nearby, all kinds of relatives. Maybe 30 people from your family, your own blood. And you happen to come into your neighborhood one day, you see all of your family on one side of the street screaming against another family on the other side of the street. What do most people do? Of course, they're loyal to their family. They'll start shouting too and say, well, let's win. But not so a true child of God. A true child of God will inquire of the matter and see whether the God of justice approves of what my family is doing. And if he's not with it, I'm not with it. Even if I become the bad guy and be called a traitor before God and the loyal servant of the Most High God. You should not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute, so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. And you should not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Poverty doesn't mean an automatic ticket for justice. It has to do with the heart and the character and the actions. Certain laws that people have to privilege the quote-unquote underprivileged, those who are economically disadvantaged or socially disadvantaged, whether it's in the Western Hemisphere of the world or the Eastern Hemisphere, wherever it is, man's laws have a lot of flaws. And they think if you throw money in a poor area and you bring the latest laptops and everything and you flood that area with the goods, so to speak, You're going to have a prosperous utopian society where no more problems. It's a matter of the heart. If the heart's not changed, the person who's crooked on skid row, so to speak, will be crooked on the top floor of the skyscraper. And if he owns the building. 
if you meet your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Many people have the attitude of Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Certainly not my brother's donkey's keeper. Or his ox. My neighbor's car is running. They forgot to shut the engine off. The lights are on or the doors are open. It's raining. Oh, we've been in situations where neighbors have seen it. Never said anything about it. We've been in situations where our power went out and you can hear the generator next door and they know we have a child that is disabled and they know different things happening. And we've been in situations where we had to carry our daughter out and ever so gently carry her into the van because of life and death situation and the neighbors knew about it never offered help. You say, what kind of neighbors are those? In a very real and tragic sense, many of the common neighbors. Not all, thankfully. But the responsibility that we have to other human beings who are not our neighbors, as the Good Samaritan story illustrates. And here it's talking about the enemy's ox or donkey going astray. Whoever said the law is archaic and the law is not like the gospel and it's different and um, the God of the Old Testament is about smoke and lights and lightning and thunderbolts and I like the New Testament God. Well, it's the same God. And you see Matthew 5 concerning love. Love your enemy. Is it not revealed here in Exodus 23.4? If you see the donkey one who hates you lying under its burden... <clears throat> And you would refrain <clears throat> pardon me, you would refrain from helping it. You should surely help him with it. He said, Go against the feelings that are not right. We have that ability. We have the ability when a thought comes into our mind, a notion Go against that. You feel like walking away from the responsibility. You can actually turn and go back and fulfill it. And that's how we train ourselves with the help of God's Word and His Holy Spirit that we keep our conscience tender and say, Lord, I can do everything right by you. I can, by grace, if I'm willing. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous. We spoke about abortion the other day. We spoke about the killing of female babies 
in India, some 5 million per year. Statistics about a decade ago. God only knows how many today. And uh, women police officers, chief police officers in India, in a parade organized by Christians with uh, female medical doctors shouting with the megaphone into the crowds, getting the attention of politicians, saying girls are best. And so they walk chanting that in the parade. From the little girls with the school uniforms to the police officer, assistant chief, I believe, at a certain area, medical doctors and other women, along with men who value human life and the dignity of all human life, male and female, they're saying something simple that even the villagers could shout and understand. Girls are best. And the understanding there is not to say they're superior to the boys or females, superior over males, but to say that they matter, they're valued. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous. And we mentioned why the children who were killed are still being killed in some areas in India. And even after marriage, because the family couldn't pay up the dowry. And they didn't want the burden of having to watch that baby grow up and make enough money to pay the dowry. All kinds of satanic reasonings to destroy precious human life. And uh, to think that the people who are pro-choice and pro-abortionists and who are pro for killing female babies, to think that they have a mother that used to be a female baby and what would have happened if their mother was killed as an infant. And to think that those men and women who support killing of female babies, yes, even some women. Horrible practices in certain places in India. Men and women, the relatives would come and stuff the infant with sand because it's a female child and kill it. What shall we do when we're faced with these facts? To think that the people who support the killing of female babies have wives and what would happen if that wife who was once a female child was destroyed? What happened to common sense even? What happened to the conscience? How could five million girl babies be destroyed by a culture, by a nation? just disappear and they know what happened to it. How could people kill 
human babies here in the West and all over the place because it's not convenient. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous. For I will not justify the wicked. What's the meaning of that? God will punish the wicked. And many people, wicked and even notoriously wicked, have come to the cross and surrendered and said, Lord, I'm the guilty one, Lord. I have blood all over me, on my hands. And it's not your blood washing me clean, it's my own wickedness that has shed innocent blood of others. Even murderers can get saved. Not so easy. As uh, making a confession and profession in jail to escape death sentence. But in the book of Corinthians, it's written that such were some of you. All kinds of people. Saul himself, Shaul of Tarsus, before he began to use his uh, other name, Paul. He was a murderer. He was consenting to the death and holding the clothing of those who would stone innocent Stephen. How did he get saved? How can that be? A man who's breathing threats against the church to the point where Jesus had to say, you're kicking against me. You're persecuting me. He heard the voice from heaven. And he received forgiveness because the moment he realized that he's violating God's law, that he's persecuting the Lord, he instantly repented. And he ran as if to make amends for all that he did evil. He said, I labor more than all of them. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned. He was a valiant man, this man that considered relatively short in stature. What a colossal figure in Christian history. God will not justify the wicked, but his son paid the price. No matter what crime somebody's committed, we've all committed crimes against God. If we come to God, we can get the guilt and the load off of us. If we thoroughly repent and we are bitter, like Peter, weeping and saying, how could I have done this, oh God? But I have done it. I have done it. It was me, Lord. I did this, that, and the other thing, and I sinned against you. And I hurt people, Lord. I deceived people. I tried to deceive you even. And you forgave me. Maybe we'll tell the good news to people who want to escape the wrath of God. But again, the implication here is the people do not take that way of repentance. Hearts are hardened like Pharaoh. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. 
Also, you should not oppress a stranger. How many people, to this day, the prejudice and uh, racial slurs and all kinds of oppression that happens to foreigners, not only people here, but people come from abroad and they don't even come to do any harm. They come to try to eke out a living and do good and do right. And they are obedient to the laws of the land, but sorely oppressed in many different ways because of their stranger status, status, foreign status. God says, watch it. How beautiful God is. What a beautiful heart. He's looking out for everybody. He's the living God, the only true God. Also, you should not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. We were all alienated from God ourselves. You should never look down on those who are not Christians. Even those we call pagans and heathen. We should hate the abominations they do. But we need to have a heart of compassion to pray for them and lead them to Christ if possible. And we need to be careful that we don't join with anyone who oppresses people who don't believe in God. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest in life fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. They violated the law of Sabbath. They went to captivity later. God gives it right here, right from the beginning. Disobedience. Pascal has a saying that she used to tell the children, disobedience always costs. We learn we avoid that. God said, do this. I'm giving you plenty. You're going to come to a land that's going to flow with milk and honey. You're going to have everything you could possibly need. I've prepared it for you. Isn't he a wonderful father? And he said, but you must honor the Sabbath. And there's a Sabbath rest. And there's a law of Sabbaths. And they couldn't do that. The seventh year you shall let it rest in life fallow that the poor of your people may eat. Look at the reason. It's not just a, an arbitrary law. There's a reason behind the Sabbath and the observance of the Sabbath year. Once again, God's heart is for the people. That the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner, you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. He cares about the animals too. Six days you shall do your work and on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may rest and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect, be wise and make no mention of the name of other gods. 
nor let it be heard from your mouth. There are Christians who admire Hollywood stars, quote-unquote. They talk about people who have nothing to do with God and they live opposite to what God says. And they promote things that God hates. But because they're great dancers or singers or actors, they have these gods, they idolize them. Christians, they have pictures of these gods in the home and they talk about these gods. These actors, truly, We need to be careful who we admire and emulate and honor. Gods are not just gods of stone, but also people that have nothing to do with God and everything opposite to what God is and stands for. We must be willing to trash the music trash the movies, trash any association, trash the visit to those so-called stars amusement parks and what have you where they're honored or held up pictures with the stars oh there's some dying to be done for the Christian who's confused and lukewarm and even blatantly hypocritical. God says you make a choice. Do you love me or you love Hollywood? Can't have both. Many Christian women, Christian men, the moment you mention a so-called star's name, oh, they can tell you the list of movies and Many Christians, social media, oh, Lord, have mercy. I used to wonder, why even call yourself a Christian? Why put the scripture verse for your profile picture or whatever picture? Why bother? When you have under your interests, your books, your movies, your favorite this and that, everything that is filthy and foolish has nothing to do with God and opposite to what God stands for. Why not just come out and say, I thought I was a Christian and I wanted to appear as a Christian, but actually I'm a hypocrite. And so here are the movies I like and the books I like. And God help us to have no other God but the living God. And as we grow in the Word and in the Spirit, we'll have a natural disgust. Not something to be worked about. I don't know how I'm going to live without this music or this show or this person or people that I admire for their talents. By means of the so-called talents and abilities of even one individual who attracts us, attracts the masses, the devil can use that person as a magnet 
and a pawn to destroy millions of souls who are hypnotized and mesmerized by that person's talents. We need to be clear who we are following and have a clear separation from that which is not of the Lord. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. God brings the community to himself and he has interaction with them. And there's a memory, a memorial for each of these feasts. He wanted them to remember, do not forget where I took you out from. On the one hand, you see the terrific sight at Sinai, the experience they had. On the other hand, the feasts and the laws, everything to get the people in line with God's ways, to teach them, to tutor them. God is the best parent and the best teacher. He cares for our souls and He gives us everything we need. There's never a time when God will not supply all the grace we need to be an overcomer. It's on us. It's up to us. To take advantage of it, do the right thing and enjoy the victory and glorify God. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. He started a calendar for the Jewish people. Every detail. God is in charge of and provides. And so in our lives, everything has been provided for by God. Everything we need And so it's very uh, abnormal for any believer to be attracted by anything that is outside of heaven. We're from above. The Lord says, you're from above. Born from above. Because I'm from above and I'm in you and you're, you're in me. Imagine if something like this were preached to the masses of people who go to church call themselves Christians. And every one of us are supposed to be overcomers according to God's word. God never plans failure for anyone at any time. And our focus should not be on how many times I failed and recovered, but rather thanking God for His mercy that we didn't perish altogether. Determined never to fail again because I have God. Never to fail to obey God. None shall appear before me empty. In the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, in the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field, three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. 
you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. Very precise instructions here. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, all of a sudden, this is inserted here by the Lord. God says there's something wrong with this. You can drink the milk and you can have goat meat. But don't boil the goat in its mother's milk. We'd say, that sounds so atrocious. Who would ever do that? It's because people were inclined to do it, some people. God had to say, don't do that. It's just against basic decency. It's against the conscience. There are many things we'll find out that the Israelites were prone to do as the rest of the people, including us, apart from the grace of God. Oh, it's not the same thing everybody does, but there are things that everybody has done worthy of eternal death. any violation. If you offend in one point, you've broken the whole law. But there are certain things that seem so hideous. We think, how could a human being ever do that? And yet, perhaps we've had those thoughts of murder, immorality, drunkenness, gluttony. And the words we use, and uh, it seems to be common vernacular, but to say, oh, I can't wait to sink my teeth into this and uh, what I'd give for that and wait a minute. We should be exhibiting self-control and the speech should be edifying. Should not urge another person to fall into that snare too. Even a fool, when he keeps his mouth shut, is considered wise, the Proverbs say. Why? The multitude of many words, sin won't be lacking. It'll pop up. The Lord Jesus didn't talk the way a lot of Christians talk today. Neither did the Apostle Paul. You say, how do you know? You have a lot of his writing. You have a lot of the Lord's saying. We know about the Lord. Apostle Paul, well, he was just like us. But he was a holy man filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, I have a conscience. And he said it publicly before the magistrates, the rulers. My conscience is void of offense before God and man. And it was true. That means Paul had a godly tight rein on his tongue. Because his heart was pure, what came out of his mouth was pure, had to do with the things of God. He said, well, Paul was a missionary and an apostle. We're just ordinary Christians. But the preaching that is recorded is not for apostles only, of missionaries, but for ordinary Christians. Every child of God were called to be slow to speak, 
Swifty here. Daughter Act. Behold, I send an angel before you, verse 20 of Exodus 23, to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. What a zeal. Reminds us of the Lord Jesus when he entered into the temple, overthrew the money changers and drove them out of there, making a whip out of cords. He said, the zeal of your house hath eaten me up. Oh, it's God's house. Get this nonsense out of here now. Nehemiah had the same zeal. Every one of us should have the same zeal. To keep our temples clean, our own bodies, our own homes, and then make sure there's no sin happening in the church. We are part of the preservation of purity in the body of Christ. So you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. He told the Israelites, you have a lot of things you can face but I will guide you and be with you supernaturally to show I'm starting something new and you are my peculiar or special people, treasure. Now everybody's going to know that I'm with you. I'm going to demonstrate this. And the Lord Jesus died on the cross to demonstrate that whoever looks to him for healing will receive healing. Because he said, be it unto you according to your faith. He's made full provision for our victory in every area of our lives. Do you believe that? Then we ought to speak that and sing that, pray that, and act like that. Again, for the Israelites, he said, no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. He said, you follow me precisely and none of this will happen. Believers can go through these things today. Suffering can happen. Tragedy can happen. And uh, it's written... There's not one feeble. Not one feeble was among them. And yet in the New Testament, the disciples had a question, well, who sinned, Lord? The man is blind. Was it his parents or did he sin? What's the story with this man who can't see? He's obviously feeble. No, it says neither his parents nor him. For the glory of God.
we need to once again read the Bible in context. Verses in the chapter, chapter in the book, the book in the particular section of the Bible, in the particular section, in the context of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then the Old Testament or New Testament in the context of the whole Bible. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. And will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. God says you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about fights. I'll take care of everything for you. Follow me. God says, I will not only make your enemies turn their backs to you, I'm going to send hornets after them. How amazing to see. Again, once again, how actively involved God is in our lives. No matter who gives us trouble when we're pursuing God and doing the right thing, God will bring our enemies under our feet. Hallelujah. He said, the hornets shall drive out drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. He planned so wisely. He said, I'm going to wipe them out little by little, gradually, so that you can actually inherit what's in the land and the animals and not be overstressed numerically. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. All this detail should make us think how we have nothing to worry about. Our Father knows all He knows best and He's involved in every detail of our lives. Everything, everything. Anything that gives you a burden right now, anything that seems to bring stress and things to do and things you're waiting for, breakthroughs and miracles and even the common activities, perhaps it seems overwhelming. God is for us and he will go before us and take care of everything. He will. If we just keep our hearts pure and hands clean, do the right thing. Follow him. It's true. He's a faithful God. That's his character. He will do what he's promised to us. And he won't leave us until he executes that promise. Blesses us. Provided we obey his voice. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand. You can look at this verse and compare other descriptions of the boundaries for Israel or Canaan. And look at the map. You can see how much of land God promised to Abraham and his descendants. You can see how choice it is and how fertile it was. Anytime the land became barren, it's because of sin. Otherwise, it was flourishing. So in our lives, if we want to prosper, we need to fear the Lord and do what he says. Don't backslide. Don't become disinterested with the things of God. 
Don't start to think other things and don't give excuses and don't lie to God. If you're not reading the Word, not praying properly, if you're not feeling that desire to spend time with God and follow Him, say so. Don't pretend, whether when you're talking to God or talking to other Christians or to your pastors. Take the truth. Something's happening. My heart's becoming hard. I'm becoming deceptive again. I'm dabbling in some sins here and all of a sudden the world seems to be appealing. All of a sudden it seems the lines are getting blurred and it doesn't seem to be white and black anymore. I see some gray area and I'm comfortable at the periphery of the boundaries. We need to confess so God can heal us and help us and remove the backsliding. He can help us. He's a wonderful, almighty God. But we want to be in the position to inherit all the things he has for us. We certainly don't want to be punished. We certainly certainly don't want to waste anything he's given us or bring disaster upon our families because that's what will happen. It's not simply losing some benefits but inviting disaster to our family when we disobey the Lord's voice. But here God says, uh, assuming and hoping that the people obey, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Fair warning, ample warning, and clear directions, precise prescription, glory waiting for the people of God, treasures, blessing upon blessing, the nature of God to give and to bless, but to those who would disobey and seek to deceive God while they deceive themselves and begin to disobey, disregard, and destroy all that God has been building. How? By one choice. Many times it's just one choice. To do what? Turn on that TV just once. I have a, I've really been fasting from TV, some people may say, and I, I just got to watch this. So exciting. Oh, yeah, that's the actress that many years ago. Yes, the devil used any kinds of thing, any kind of thing to bait us. To see something that we shouldn't see because it's not healthy for us. Not necessarily outrightly, blatantly evil, per se, but then that's how the devil operates. It's according to uh, the catch that he's looking for, and so he prepares the bait. Someone would not dare turn on the TV to watch something pornographic or outrightly violent or filled with demonology. Then the bait is adjusted. It brings some memory, uh, even some family memory. Some so-called innocent actor before it became really bad, Hollywood, that is, uh, some moral or some fable captured in film and uh, connect that to the Christian and let them start the process because after that I'll introduce a commercial and something else and that's how he hooks people. 
We need to make sure we know the snare. As we often say, see the devil coming a mile away and avoid him at all costs. His wares, his goods, because his goods are bad. Always bad. Quote, unquote. God says, you see sacred pillars for idols? Overthrow them. And watch out for snares. Obey my voice. I give you everything you need and much more. How good our God is. Blessed be his name. Shall we pray? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in for the spiritual Canaan. Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints, they like to sing, go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Lord, I want to be in that number. All the faithful Israelis, Israelites, faithful children of God. A holy church, the only type of church that's going to make it. Worldwide, not some denomination or even some non-denominational church. But all of the world, all who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who love holiness, hate evil, have rejected the world and all of its wares and embraced heaven and all of its treasures. Those are the people who are marching into heaven at the appointed time. I want to be in that number. If you do, you like to unmute and sing, you can now. Oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in, Lord, I want to be in that number. When the saints when the saints, saints of God, go marching in, the saints go marching in, how I want to be in that number. Lord, I've got to be in that number when the saints go Lord, I thank you for the privilege, the holy calling, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you that even in the reading of the law, we're inspired to press on to the goal, to the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We have pleasures that this world knows nothing about. At your right hand, in your presence, joy, unspeakable, hallelujah. A holy fellowship, a fruitful fellowship with all our brothers and sisters who are headed the same direction, have rejected the world and seek to please and honor you, Lord. And so we increase on every side because of the blessing of our God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. For prospering your people, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory be to your name. Thank you, Lord, for your word, 
from Exodus, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' precious name, continue to heal, Lord, your people, even those who are backslidden, Father, who maybe have not publicly confessed it, but you know and they know now. They're not where they should be, oh God. Please heal them, I pray now, of any backsliding. Make them healthy. We can all go to heaven together. Obeying the voice of the Lord God. Blessed be your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.